Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This episode is brought to you by Green Skies Analytics, an audit analytics service provider that works with internal audit departments that have data analysts and are still frustrated with trying to make analytics actually work, aren't getting the expected ROI, who can't break through the communication barrier between the analysts and the audit team, and those that need experienced direction for an audit analytics strategy and process. Those that feel like they've wasted time and money on trainings, aren't getting the value they want, not prioritizing the highest risk areas for the organizations, or have projects that seemingly never get completed. Do you deal with any of that? If you do, go to the show notes of this episode and click the Green Skies Analytics link or go to greenskiesanalytics.com to schedule a call and understand how Green Skies Analytics makes analytics actually work for internal audit. Continuing our series of Beacon Award winners from 2022. These are the people that were recognized as thought leaders by Richard Chambers. He is the former CEO and president of the IIA. And this week we have Liz Sandwith on the show. She is the managing partner at Sandwith Internal Audit Services. And a couple of things that we hit on is, A, you're recognized as a Beacon Award winner uh, for your thought leadership on risk inflation and geopolitical conflict in Europe. And so that was roughly, you know, 2022, so about a year ago. And so we wanted to get an update on where those two topics stand. Wanted to get Liz's thoughts on how to earn that coveted seat at the table and how we can actually implement those uh, processes, protocols, whatever it is to increase our odds. So it's not just, hey, we know we need to do this. We're trying to dig into more of that. Hey, how do we actually do this though? Um, also want to get her thoughts on independence and where she sits with independence. We always say there's a spectrum depending on you know where you sit on that spectrum can impact your really uh, your really your ability to be an effective auditor to, can depend on where you sit on that independent spectrum and then given the relationships that liz has with other um, thought leaders and caes we ask the number one issue she's hearing from caes and her peers here we go but you were recognized as a Beacon Award winner from Richard Chambers in 2022. And in his write-up of, of why you were awarded that, he mentions that your thought leadership on risk inflation and geopolitical conflict in Europe was one of the reasons, or I guess in that case, two of the reasons. Um, it seems like there that hasn't really changed a ton. Is there anything you can update us on relative to those two areas? I think there has been some changes and I've seen some changes coming through 2023, particularly around risk and that people are talking much more and I'm hearing it and seeing it about interlocking risks. So, you know, when I wind the clock back and you know how far I can wind my clock back, um, risk used to be in buckets or financial risk, operational risk, sales risks. One of the things that seems to be coming through much, much more is the way risks interlock with each other uh, and the consequences of one risk impacts on another risk. So it's you could call it exacerbating a risk. So you might think, actually, geopolitical is a risk in its own right. And for some organizations, it may well be. For others, it will be a risk, the elements of which exacerbate 
exacerbate risks within the organization rather than it creating a risk in its own right. So I think that's becoming increasingly uh, positive, I think, because it's helping organizations and all the functions weave more together and look to drive the business forward with everybody managing risk rather than it happening in pockets within the organization. So I'm seeing a lot of that. So I think that's a real positive. The other thing that I'm beginning to see and is becoming a topic that we're talking more about is NEQ risk, not easily quantifiable risk. And in my head, I've got organizations all over the globe, probably, with bumps in their carpet. You know, we often used to think, oh, that's a children's toy or whatever. Um, but actually bumps because they don't know what to do with any Q risk. They don't know, they know there's a risk, but don't know how to articulate it, how to mitigate it, what actions to take. And for me, that that's where the three lines model comes in because it's about encouraging us all to collaborate more together rather than everybody sitting in their pocket. So I, I guess one of the things I would say is if, if you know your organization has not easily quantifiable risks, then as internal audit, we should be calling them out. And even if you don't know what to do about it, let's get it on a risk yeah. register somewhere so that we can start going, okay, so that's a risk. Anybody know what we do about this? And let's work to see how we address it. Otherwise, those risks will bite you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's not a good place to be. And you said they are obviously hard to quantify or hard to almost even explain. Yeah. So this might be a tough question, but are, are there some examples for those in the audience that are going, uh, I kind of get that, you know, abstractly, but concrete, what are some examples? Um. I think sanctions could be one that that's um, you know um, not easily quantifiable, because a lot of organisations will have really struggled with sanctions over the last year, eighteen months, because of the the you know the war in Ukraine and the sanctions that were applied by countries across the globe. But sanctions are things that move very fast, and somebody could be on a sanction list today and not tomorrow or not today and then on tomorrow. And I remember working for an organization where we got caught with that. Somebody bought our product two weeks later and we did a sanctions check. Two weeks later came back and asked for their money back and we gave it back without checking again. And therefore we we breached. And, and because of that, because of the uncertainty, because most people in organizations, and I'm not just talking internal auditors, really, struggle to understand what we mean by sanctions and what the rules are. I think that's one that, you know, people might be hesitant to put on a risk register because I'm not sure how it's going to affect us, don't know what we do about it, don't know how we find out, all of those sorts of questions. Yeah, yeah. If it's not on the if it's on there and maybe the fear is, hey, we put it on there that we need to address it. We don't know how to address it. So it's best if we just don't put it on there at all. Just put it as one of those lumps in the carpet. So the other thing I would say, uh, particularly about risk, I think, is that there's a lot of internal audit functions, certainly UK and Europe, I'm hearing, where they're really struggling to recruit people with the skills they need. 
skills that mean that they're across some of these new risks that are emerging, the severity of some of the risks. Geopolitical in particular is becoming challenging. You know, the elements of that supply chain, cost constraints, inflation, you know, all of those sorts of issues are for some internal auditors that are, I was going to say several years, I probably multiply that to the power three at least, younger than me, won't know what some of these things are. And therefore, there's some real challenges out there. So I think risk at the moment generally is a really hot topic and one that as internal audit, we are focusing our time on to make sure that, you know, we are really across some of those risks. I know uh, as far as focusing our time, a lot of people want to focus their time on effectively getting that very coveted seat at the table. I know that's something you've you've spoken about Um, publicly. Also, I'm always curious, what is the practical advice? Like what can we actually do to get there? Is there anything you could share with the listeners relative to that? Yes, absolutely. I, I think it. I think it's a real challenge, and I. I think sometimes, you know, you could argue, when we renamed the head of internal audit as the chief audit exec, we were looking at aiming them at the C-suite level. I, I don't think a title in itself does it. No. I think it's about the respect that the organisation has for you as that CAE, as that individual. And respect doesn't come with the title. It is something that is earned by you across the organization. So that's supporting your your colleagues, both senior, middle, junior management, helping make sure your team is delivering the best possible product, be agile and adaptable and responsive when the organization that does that, whoa, help, we don't know what to do about this. Um, we are there, we should be there. And, you know, goes by the same token, really, we shouldn't be afraid to ask the difficult questions. And and I always think, you know, they always say, don't they, with barristers, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. But I think for us as internal auditors, that's absolutely fine. If we don't know the answer, let's ask the question because that'll start a conversation and collectively we'll work to find the answer. Just for kicks and giggles more than anything, you mentioned delivering the best product. What is our, what is the audit product? Oh, the audit product. I mean, I could, you know, read the, the, um, the textbook and talk about protecting the organization's values and providing assurance around processes. Yeah, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) I bored you already, haven't I? Um, I think the product is being relevant. I'm here as internal audit. And I always, when I've headed up internal audit functions, I've always had as one of my key performance indicators that, can you help us? That for me is the key task, a test that we've done everything that we should do. I can come up with a plan, brilliant plan. Lots of my colleagues have brilliant plans. They go to the audit committee, they have great discussions. And we all go away and we all crack on with our work and we deliver a product, an exemplary product in terms of providing assurance. I still want the, can you help us? Because that says to me, I am on message. I know what the organization's about. 
and they want to hear from me. So for me, that's the important bit. I like that. That was good. Uh, especially the knock. Um, I like the K that KPI also. Uh, and the way I've described it, I think the knock is great or probably better, but is how many times does management come to us as opposed to us going to them, even maybe as a percentage? I don't know. We haven't measured it like that before, but I just popped in my head. Uh, but the knock is, is really interesting too, a way to do that, as well as I know I've heard recently talking about this with some other thought leaders, and they said the amount of genuine, which is hard to measure, thank yous that you get as a KPI, which I think is brilliant, but it's also pretty tough because how many times you get, all right, thanks. <laughs> like, I don't know if you really meant that, but the genuine thank yous, I think are really good KPI. I think thank you is interesting because um, you, you could argue um, that actually, if they're saying thank you, that's because we've done the job we're paid to do. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's not so much about the thank you as about what has changed because of what I've done. So have we identified inefficiencies that we've improved? Have we identified some uh, cost savings? Have we looked at a better way of doing a product? What have we done that's earned that thank you is what's more important than the thank you itself. And I'm seeing these things happen in an organization. So I think those are important. I um, worked for an organization and, the, and they um, produced a new product which was aimed at families. And I can remember saying to them, and it's a few years ago before, um, you know, equality, diversity and inclusion really gathered momentum. And I remember saying to them, so how do you define a family? Oh, it's yeah. a mother, a father and two children. So I said, really? Is that your only definition? Yes. So I said, well, what about single parent families? Well, what about same-sex families? Oh, what about families with five children? Oh, and I said, you need to stop. You cannot go out to market with that product, with that definition. So for me, it, you know, they probably didn't say thank you immediately because it meant more work and they delayed the product launch. But ultimately, if they'd gone out, their reputation would have been damaged significantly. So longer term, they said thank you, but not necessarily immediately. So I, I'm a bit mixed about a thank you. I think that story hits on, hey, we don't have to be like, you didn't do a risk assessment of that. You didn't go do a bunch of testing, you know, to do that. You didn't interview, you know, half the company or the department or whatever and write up an audit report and do all that. You just gave your opinion, which is valuable. Yes. Yeah. Because I got the knock. They came to see me. They said, we're going to launch this product. What do you think? And that was because, I, as I said right at the beginning, and I'd earned the respect of the organization. So they thought, oh, Liz, she hasn't been involved in this product. We'll test it with Liz, see what she thinks. So they asked me, and I didn't, as you rightly said, I didn't go, well, I'm sorry, I can't give you an answer for six weeks because I've got <laughs> to write a terms of reference. It, I, I just looked at it and I knew it was wrong. Uh, so I showed my courts. Yeah, I like that. Uh, like we all have brains, just use them. It doesn't have to be the audit brain all the time. No, no. common Perfect. sense is yeah. very valuable. The This is completely, it's a horrible segue. I don't even have one for it, but I know I've read your thoughts on independence. And so I wanted to make sure that we got those out there. My opinion has always been that independence is a spectrum for a lot of people. Like, 
and and by that nobody or most people don't really agree on this is where it is so it's a one to ten i know people that'll go hey if the business is going down the ship's going down forget the audit thing jump in and help where you can put controls in before or after it assess it whatever you got to do uh and other people that go hey i can't go to lunch with the ceo because it you know will mess with my independence and you just kind of to me anyway, I kind of scratch my head and go, um, that sounds like you're hiding from something more than anything. But anyways, so that's the spectrum that I talk about. Where do you, where do you fit on the spectrum? Uh, what's your perspective on where others fit on the spectrum? I think to be honest, I've always been with your 10, um, because I think otherwise the role of internal audit's a bit dull and boring. It is. Um, so I like, some might call it meddling. I like to call it being curious. I like to call it finding out how the business operates, runs, and seeing where I can add value. But I do know you're right, and I do know there are a lot of people at the other end. And I recall one of the early um, forums that the Chartered IIA did when we were in lockdown, and I was talking about you know, now is the time, you know, we need to work with the business. And I got a lot of <laughs> that'll compromise my independence. Yeah, but maybe you won't have a business if you yeah. don't do something differently. Um, and so, you know, I'm talking to people. I, I had heads of audit in the NHS that were driving patients about, that were manning kitchens in terms of, um, you know, supporting people at the coalface who needed that help. Equally, I had people in the financial services sector who were looking at new initiatives um, and new loan schemes, and then providing real-time assurance. Now, looking at it, yeah, go with that. That works. So I think you're right. I think a spectrum is a good place to be, but I'd like the spectrum to be much further towards the 10 end than the one end. And I think it has shifted. Uh, I think the, the three years of the COVID, the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, the challenges that organizations have faced and internal audit functions, I think has stopped internal audit doing the, hmm, yes. can't do that. I also think, and, and I am, as you may have heard me, um, others will have, I am obsessive about that double arrow in the three lines model between internal audit and first and second line that's about communicating, collaborating, coordinating, and aligning with the business. That for me is exactly what internal audit is all about. And I would say for most of my 34 years, I've done that without really realizing what it was I'd done. But the three lines model is very good at describing that. And I think giving us the authority to go and to explore and to find out and support and help and advise. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one reason I asked the question is because I knew we sat <laughs> similar into the spectrum and I wanted more people to hear your expert opinion of why you feel like that. Um, and maybe this, the, the next question, maybe this is related to where people sit on that, or maybe it's something you've addressed somewhat already, but so if you want to expand on it or go, Hey dude, we've already talked about that. Let's just skip that question. But what, what's the number one issue you feel like CAEs are, are talking about or dealing with right now? Um, I think there's quite a bit going on at the moment. Uh, I think it's becoming increasingly challenging for CAEs. I know certainly 
the ones I've spoken to, and gosh, I've spoken to a lot over the last three, four months in particular, is the new IPPF evolution and the new standards. What is this going to mean? You know, I've spoken to CAEs, heads of internal audit that have gone, there's no way I can embrace this because we're a small internal audit function. I haven't got the time to read it. I don't understand what it's about, so I'm carrying on. I'm ignoring it. No, no, you can't do that. That's not an option. But how can we, you know, help you get to that place? So I've been doing quite a number of sessions explaining the um, the five domains, the purpose of them, how they can help them, how the the domains will help them do their job better, raise the bar. And I've also tried to make it more straightforward. So you know, domain three, the you know the governing the internal audit function the role of your audit committee, your board, you know, for a lot of internal audit functions, and I mean a significant number, that's just best practice. Right. And probably what most of them, 95% were doing anyway. Okay, there might be a little bit of dotting I's and crossing T's that weren't there. So for me, I was thinking in particular around the, the one-on-ones you may have as a CA with your audit committee chair you know, or your board chair. Then, you know, at the end of that, when you've had your cup of coffee and you've caught up on the weather, et cetera, drop them an email and say, can I just confirm, Trent? We just talked about one, two, three, four, and this is what we agreed. Yeah. Then we've got that documented. So when you come to EQA or when you're challenged, you can go, here's the email. This is what I said to Trent. This is what we agreed. Thank you, slam dunk. So, I think sometimes we overthink things as internal audit. And, you know, and so I'm hugely positive of domain three. I think it's got a lot of opportunity. As you probably are aware, I sit on the standards board and we are doing some amendments. So I think it's going to come out even better than it was at the, as it exists. Not massively tweaked, but some. Domain four for me, managing the internal audit function, is the CAE head of audit's job description. It's it's what I do as a CAE. Why should that be a problem? It shouldn't be a problem. But the beauty of it is, perhaps for the first time, it gives your board or your audit committee something to measure your performance by. Because now it knows really what you're supposed to do. So I think that's a huge positive. Um, and I've been talking at the Institute about creating a skeleton job description, if you like, for a CAE that embraces all of the elements of that, that they yeah. can then add to depending on their own organization. So I, I think I think it's more um, that the, the new standards will be more approachable and embeddable. I don't think there's such a word, but you know where I'm coming from, than actually people are thinking it will be when they start getting into it. Okay. So I think that's that's a, a real challenge. The other one is staff shortages, as I mentioned earlier. <coughs> oh, sorry. Staff shortages, the inability to recruit skilled internal auditors, I think it's going to be uh, and continue to be difficult. Um, and I think the link to that, you've also got, you know, inflation, cost of living, so you have got certainly some of the younger internal auditors that are chasing salaries. Perfectly understandable. You know, you, you, you're starting out with your, 
you know, your home and your family. Um, you, you need to chase salaries. It's what's important. Um, but also don't forget in among all of that, that building experience is important and you need to stay places to gather that experience, to strengthen your CV, to then be able to build on that and move on. So moving too quickly, I think, can have um, dire consequences later. Yeah. I want to come back to the standards real quick. You said we can't ignore them. I'm a CAE and I'm going to ignore them. What's the impact? I believe, genuinely believe, that the impact will be that you will be outperformed by your peers because the standards will challenge us all to do things a bit differently, to think outside the box, to understand really what it is we're doing. So we have a brilliant new purpose statement that provides clarity around what we're doing, the elevator pitch, if you like. And I think if you sit back in your corner, um, pull the blinds down, cover your eyes, I think you will find very quickly that should you decide to move on, you're out of step with everybody else. But even in your organization, you'll be out of step with the speed with which organizations are progressing um, currently and have been for the last year or so. I can 100% see why Richard recognized you as a uh, thought leader in this space. This has been, um, to me, a brilliant conversation. I really appreciate it. With that said, leave us with your your brilliance. What do you want to leave the audience with, Liz? Well, I thought I'd be a little Please. bit different, if you don't mind. Um, you said I could talk about anything. And I think totally up to you. An, an example of somebody adopting a pet. I haven't ever adopted a pet. Um, but what I do have is 115 cows um, because my husband is a dairy farmer. And you're probably sitting here listening to me thinking, what the heck has that got to do with internal audit? Well, it's the social interaction that I wanted to share with you. Because watching them, we've been on the farm now 20 plus years, and I watch them sort out who is the boss in the, in the herd, who is the matriarch, if you like, and the new ones, the younger cows look to her for guidance and support. When they have calves, um, you can watch the more experienced mothers come and help a new mom. Well, you're supposed to do this and then you're supposed to do that. And, and it occurred to me, and also they're really good if you want to talk internal audit to them because they'll look at you and they'll listen to you and you can see them thinking, I haven't got a clue what she's talking about, but I'm going to listen anyway. But for me, it makes me mindful of our organizations, of our internal audit functions, appreciating that not everybody knows what you know and the importance of sharing, not just with my own team, but sharing with colleagues, supporting colleagues, uh, in terms of, you know, are they new, a new head of internal audit, a new internal auditor? I do training for apprentices. And I love that because they know nothing about internal audit, but then they start asking me questions. Liz, you say we need a strategic plan. Why do we need one of those? And you sort of sit in there thinking, yeah, why do we? That's a really good question. And then when you answer that question, you can feel yourself learning more 
as you're talking to them and explaining it to them, then you probably thought you knew and would have asked, would have answered if somebody more senior had asked you that question. Um, so, you know, I think it's the social interaction, it's the ability to share and support, and the importance of working with our colleagues. And if you've come up with a brilliant idea, share it, share it widely, because we all need somebody's brilliance at some point or another. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.